the question obviously then is why are they doing it now uh, in the face of what Om- Omicron? I've, I've seen various different um, people trying to explain this, trying to wrestle with it. I mean, it's even <laughs> the, the the images coming out of, out of Shanghai in particular are um, so sh- shocking that I think even uh, you know COVID true believers in the West. Are, are criticizing it and saying yeah. that's not that's that okay like we we like a good lockdown as much as anybody but that's taking it a bit far that's crazy stop it so it's like it's really weird that uh, that that, that uh, but then at the same time I have to question the the assumption that you know obviously the images you're not going to dismiss the images of masses of police basically and I suppose medical per, uh, personnel of some description in in kind of white suits, basically, um, grabbing people, throwing them into quarantine camps, you know, killing animals, apparently, um, locking, obviously, keeping people locked in, you know, millions of people locked in high-rise apartments and stuff. Um, and then, and also the claims that people are starving because no food is being delivered, right? So people are starving to this. So the Chinese, true to true to form, right, or true to, true to past form, they're starving the entire population of Shanghai, right? Yeah. So, I mean... I take some of those things with a grain of salt. Uh, I mean, I'm not. A, I'm not. Uh, I, I see a lot of people jumping at those and, and, and extrapolating kind of wildly. I don't think, again, it's a city of 25 million people. Those images aren't representative of the entire uh, city of Shanghai, right? Yeah. Necessarily. I know for a fact that one element is fake. Right, <clears throat> which is it went viral last week all over the West, and this is why we need to remember in 2020, this happened. Big big factor in why we all freaked out in the West, uh, the royal we, <laughs> us here didn't freak out at all, but the royal we freaked out because of the images, the short videos that went viral on Western social media. That wasn't China's doing. Anyway, one viral campaign in the last two weeks that is fake is the people jumping out of buildings, committing suicide yeah. en masse. Mm-hmm. Someone... This I've been able to verify. Someone has been taking videos, some of which genuinely are Chinese videos, of myriad incidents, right. individual isolated incidents across China over recent years. It could be a crazy, a genuinely suicidal person. It could be an accident. child falls off a railing. Mm-hmm. They happen to be filmed, that kind of thing. Right. And they've been making, busy making composite videos, and they've gone viral in the last couple of 10 right. days or so in the West. They're fake. Right. The implied messaging with them is... It's so bad in Shanghai right now, people are throwing themselves out of windows like the World Trade Center on 9-11. Right. So that's definitely fake. Right. Uh, the, the slaughtering of pets, I'm not sure about. Um, they do look like they're from Shanghai, some of them. Mm-hmm. They're recent. Because here it gets murkier because there is no official policy on what to do with pets when they're left behind. There seems to be sort of, if it's happening, it's happening at a city-state level, Chinese English language media isn't mentioning it. Right. So there's no accounting for it. You know what I mean? There's right. no attempt to give an explanation for it. Um, that I don't know about. But it, look, I'm not defending it. It looks freaking atrocious. Um, okay, that's the one issue, the pets and what they're doing with animals there. The other one is simply what they're doing to people. Right. There's enough, there is enough footage that basic claim in the Western media is basically valid. Mm-hmm. This is not like a storm in a teacup. There's definitely something serious happening in Shanghai. It's in three, going on three weeks now. Yeah. Um, 
Although it's easing right now, apparently, supposedly. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is that officially, they're talking in the range of 20,000 cases. And officially, no deaths. It just begs the question further, why? Why do it? Oh, and they say, well, well, it's the same continuous, it's consistent. It's, well, they've, they've slightly amended. It's no longer zero COVID policy. It's dynamic zero COVID policy, mm. uh, which means anytime, anywhere, we can lock down. Basically, as cases arise, lock it down. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I've, I've seen a few places, just in terms of trying to explain this, in, a, in, a way, in terms that do not relate to uh, COVID, i.e. are not taking it at face value because for the reasons that we just uh, gave, which is there doesn't seem to be any reason why China would have such an extreme reaction, the Chinese government or whoever's deciding it in Shanghai, whatever, would have this kind of an extreme reaction to what is at this point a flu-like virus uh, that has you know, mutated multiple times into, uh, and as all mutations, it becomes less serious, less uh, virulent. And why, why, why they would do this, so people... I've seen other reasons. Uh, well, not not conspiracy in that sense. The one I just sent you there, Scott, if you put that up, uh, there's a few articles in this talking, and these are mainstream articles talking about uh, Shanghai's lockdown. This one talks about Putin's Ukraine as well, but Putin's Ukraine adventure. But Shanghai's lockdown is screwing up um, shipping, and it'll take you know maybe a few weeks for the results of the lockdown in Shanghai to have uh, the impact that they expected to have on the U.S. economy. Uh, specifically on inflation because of uh, you know backlog in in, in deliveries basically because of the shutdowns in, in, in Shanghai and the, and the ports in Shanghai aren't shipping as much material uh, and there'll be a, a kind of a, a surge once it kind of opens up again and that won't be able to handle all that and then you'll have delays and it'll exacerbate uh, inflation in the US and that'll be one more thing to blame inflation in the US on it'll be Shanghai's lockdown plus as this article says, uh, uh, Crimea, or sorry, not Crimea, Ukraine. Um, so could China be doing it on purpose to drive up U.S. inflation, to deal a, a deadly blow to the great Satan? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's, I mean, I know. It, it, That's if, what we're having to go well, if because you, if you, if the official account makes The official account doesn't make any sense and even is, like I said, is even true blue COVID kind of, diehard believers who believe that you know covid was a deadly plague that you know could have killed half the world's population or something if we didn't do something about it even those people are saying at this point why we're trying to be doing this anyway so that forced us to try and think of something else and there are those suggestions they're not like i said it's it's their mainstream articles pointing out the reality of 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 the potential reality the potential negative impact on the global economy and in the U.S., obviously, for U.S.-based media, are talking about inflation increasing over the next, uh, having a worse uh, 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 or a worsening effect on the on inflation in the West and, in particular, in the U.S. Uh, that's one possible explanation. Another possible explanation is that, well, depends how far you want to go. Um, I when I <laughs> when I thought about it. Um, the first thing that came to mind when I was being forced to consider some other explanation 
but the first thing that came to mind was uh, Taiwan and um, if this lockdown was some kind of a, a a prelude to a Chinese invasion slash attack on invasion of or slash attack on Taiwan and that um, you know because we have seen I mean there were there's, again, not a lot of evidence for this. We're really having to stretch to, to answer the question as to if it's not actually COVID, why are they doing this? Uh, there's, as a result of the lockdowns, the US actually, few, like maybe a week ago or less than a week ago, put out a uh, uh, US embassy, I think, or the US State Department put out uh, a memo or whatever to at least some embassy staff in Shanghai or consular staff in Shanghai that they should leave the country because they were at risk of having being separated from their families or if they were, had children that their children would be taken away from them. So there does seem to be to some extent a kind of an exodus of Western and certainly you can imagine that would be normal that uh, it's been going on for a few weeks now so anybody who saw it coming, you know, anybody within uh, US government uh, or US government yeah, consular circles within Shanghai or within China would have had a heads up to this and probably would have said, listen, we don't want to be living here uh, while this is happening. Let's just go somewhere else. Let's go to Beijing or go somewhere else anyway. Yeah. So there has been a movement of uh, diplomatic staff, let's say, to some extent out of Shanghai, US Western diplomatic staff out of Shanghai. As a prelude, as a, you know, in, in the lead up to, to some kind of Chinese military action against Taiwan, would that be useful to do? Would you do, go to that extreme? Would, would the Chinese go to that extreme to, to, to just to... Of apparent self-harm, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's tetchy there, protests. People are hungry, apparently, in some places. Well, at least there's local supply chain issues. I mean, yeah. the videos of them screaming out of their towers at night are, yeah. I think they're legit. Yeah, that was like Wuhan, February twenty twenty. Right. Um, how, how far are they willing to go to do some of that? I think, I think politics. Are, there's definitely something political. Is it geopolitical? Is it is it is 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 Beijing doing this with an eye on something far bigger? Therefore, you know, they have no problem to to make an omelet breaking a few eggs, yeah, including I mean, a very touchy situation in the largest city. For a few weeks, yeah. And it is the largest, yeah, it's China's largest city, technically, by it's population. the most, most, most westernized city, too. Exactly. That's what makes me think that it's, you know, it's probably crawling with all sorts of, to, what, to whatever extent the, the West have, you know, their agents and their infiltrators and their NGOs and that kind of thing. A lot of them will be in, in Shanghai, you know. Uh, it's relatively, it's the biggest city the most important city that's, that's closest to Taiwan, let's say, because Beijing is much further north and a little bit inland type thing. It's much further away. I mean, the only thing that I saw that kind of would back this up, again, it's not proof or anything like that, but put up uh, the Twitter link I said to TGTM official. Um, this is a, poli- a police, one of these white-clad police um, persons talking to a Chinese, a Shanghai resident, I suppose, and... Uh, just, you can just play it there. There's sub, subs on it, subtitles.
So basically, that's interesting. The guy that said all these, all these, all of, all of this uh, situation in Shanghai is caused by the current international situation. That's a police officer saying it to a woman, and she's videoing on her phone. That's interesting. Cause all, all of these are caused by the current international situation, uh, if, and tells her not to cause any more trouble. Our country, China, will have no hope. Uh, we are about to have war against the U.S. Do you understand? Yeah, that's super interesting because they they're obviously telling rank and file something more than just curse those people for, for control's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, Tucker Carlson gave an explanation last week on one of his monologues. It was, it was a great presentation, I think, of the factual, the facts in Shanghai. <coughs> it wasn't going overboard and showing mm-hmm. the more extreme stuff. He says, overall, just look at it, it's extreme. At the end of his monologue, though, he gave an, what he thought would be a coherent internal Chinese a political justification for it. Mm-hmm. I think he's I think he's right but wrong. So he says this year is Chinese version of election year. Mm-hmm. So Xi Jinping will be term limits were lifted. He will almost certainly be reelected by the Chinese communist hierarchy to be president again for another five years. Um and he spoke about Tucker Carlson spoke about Shanghai's particularly open Western integrated to some extent, expat, large expat community. Mm -hmm. He said that's, he suggested that China's, um, Shanghai's local political authorities would naturally reflect that to some extent. Therefore, this was Beijing, the CCP, um, the top dogs, cracking down on a potential dissident, Mm -hmm. source of dissidents ahead of his coronation this fall or something. Mm. Coronation was Tucker's term of course mm-hmm. um ah there you go that's my theory and that's it's, it's for reasons of cracking down internal assent well i wasn't able to, i was i was thinking along those lines myself in terms of taiwan and I was, but i wasn't able to really get a, a read on the possibility or the idea that maybe shanghai would be a, a hotbed or a center of resistance or or um public uh anger or outrage about a Chinese mm. attack on Taiwan. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not in, in Shanghai. You said it's like, it's, it's, it's a maybe most westernized uh, big city in, in, in China. And who knows? I don't know. Again, we're speculating here because the question has been asked, if it's not about COVID, what is it about? So we're having to kind of like try and figure things out, you know? Um. That uh, that thing about the U.S. telling its embassy staff to leave. Mm. I'm just going to look at this headline. This is the Global Times, so China's English language um, yeah. official organ response to it. Just <laughs> look at the headline. U.S. is pulled out of Shanghai. Consulate staff reveals who's the world's big, biggest Karen is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they were mocking it. Um, oh, the U.S. is just, you know, being hysterical. Um they didn't speak to anything deeper. They didn't mm-hmm. mention Taiwan in in this response. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely one to watch. Um, look at the context here. Look at the context in the West. I'll be careful here because this is exactly what got people into trouble for two years <clears throat> over. Why COVID? Why pandemics? Why pandemic response? 
Um, no one doubts at this point, I don't think it's too contentious to say this, that politics and political, political control over what exactly the science, supposedly objective, separate from politics, was at any given point in time throughout this, okay? Um, this next link from the Wall Street Journal speaks to that. This is a separate issue about whether or not there should be vaccine boosters in the West. Last week, it was revealed that the FDA went and said, yes, we think there should be a fourth vaccine booster. Mm -hmm. Immediately, its own board member said, we disagree with this decision. And the article basically cites them. They didn't mind giving their names. And they explicitly said, on a personal level, as an FDA board panel member who expert who was not consulted about this or who disapproved of the FDA's decision, I personally recommend you do not get a anyway, separate issue. But look at the, that sub-headline here. So the headline is, FDA shuts out its own experts in authorizing another vaccine booster. Subheadline: decisions like this only reinforce the perception that COVID policy is driven by groupthink and politics. Mm -hmm. Now, apply that to China. COVID policy is driven by politics. Mm -hmm. as, as loudly and as consistently as its media is saying, no, 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 is dynamic zero COVID if there's a single instance of it, we crack down on the entire local population. Obviously, that doesn't fit, no. quote-unquote, the science. By their own statistics, they have zero deaths in Shanghai. Right. Zero. Keep it that way. While their influencers are out there on Twitter and wherever else saying, oh, no, this is necessary to prevent possible 5 million deaths. Possible 5 million deaths. China hasn't hit 5,000 mm -hmm. deaths officially. officially in two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So... It's politics. Yeah. It's Whether it's else. geopolitics or not. Yeah. But if it's not geopolitics, it's domestic politics, politics not just why, why only Shanghai. It's not only Shanghai we should, we should mention as well. Shanghai seems to be yeah. you know, getting it worse in that sense. But there's something like officially over the past few weeks, more than 300 million people in China were under f some form of lockdown. Um, yeah. COVID, uh, like you said, is... Always, always was primarily about politics, and uh, and that's as true in China as elsewhere. China, like you said, initially took the approach that now we're not going to we're not going to do the whole, uh, you know, deadly plague thing. We're not going to shut down our our, our 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 economy. In the, well, you know, initially the they did, initially but, but they did, quickly, but, but quickly afterwards they back. came back and said, no, this is nothing. Burger's gone away. But so why now revisit it in this extreme way? In its and particularly in its in its biggest city of twenty five million people, Shanghai. Again, you look at it from a politics point of view, you have to come up with some other explanation. Either it's domestic politics or it's international politics. Um, You've already shown a link from Fortune about mm. some Inflation. intention behind it to disrupt Western supply chain. I have another one here. I sent it to you already, the Forbes one. This guy's a lot more, a lot more point, point blank in his accusation. Um, What's the title of it? Forbes. How the Shanghai COVID shutdown will be used against the West. Um, don't know who the author is, but Forbes, of course, is uh, financial press in the US. Like I said, you know, late last fall, <laughs> we were in conspiracy theory land for going here. But now it's like 
everyone's best guess that this is being done. It, I won't flesh out the article, but it follows the same point that this is being done. To, it's economic warfare. It's economic warfare. It's an economic war of attrition. It's um, it's war by other means and right. Um, that that's another possible. That is a possibility. Like because um, you can imagine if if China wanted to, you know, follow its generally its policy of <clears throat> it's it's. <clears throat> what, what? How would you describe China? China's um, mm, butter wouldn't melt in more mouths kind of uh, approach to international uh, politics and geopolitics. Uh, if China wanted to, in some way, engage in some kind of economic warfare against the West and particularly against the US, without actually declaring it, without saying so. Um, in in the only way that really it can, let's say, initially like impact the West would be to disrupt uh, supply chains going from China to the West in a strategic kind of way, in a way that you know impacts the West negatively but doesn't uh, uh, negatively impact China too much. Then, if you don't want to be open about that how would you do it well then you just do it under the ruse of oh serious covid outbreak gotta lock down this major city or these major cities and that's going to affect your supply chains and sorry it's not our fault but you know what's the advantage to, i suppose what do you get from not being open about it you know i suppose i don't know maybe that's the way the chinese work it's hard to penetrate the chinese mind anyway so well uh, remember on the other side that's a double-edged sword because not being open about it China has been begging the U.S. to be open about the potential origins of this thing, you know? Right, right. Hint, hint, you know? So if you're going to pretend it's something, we'll also pretend it's something and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see where the chips fall kind of thing. Um, God, in that article, your man was livid. He calls it the Shanghai supply chain dumpster fire. It is absolutely sure. Specifically, as you say, that... Um, Forbes taking the line that this isn't so much just pure destruction. I will start a dumpster fire here and it will have knock-on destructive effects on the US. He, he thinks there's, he explains a bit why, how things are changing in, in international shipping. Mm -hmm. Whereas before international ship, shipping companies, the actual container own, um, containers, the actual ships were Western, like Maersk. Um, now, since this uh, pandemic started in 2020, China's been going seriously hell for leather to build its own ships and for its companies like Costco to increase their market share internationally. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's shipping strategy and probably, and possibly, he speculates, involved in this. Um, but also a broader strategy isn't, in fact, to encourage... Um, you would think on the surface, oh, so China's being kind of isolationist. This is their kind of response to Trump's economic sanctions against us and so on. But the guy actually makes the case that uh, in Forbes that this is China kind of pulling the leash mm -hmm. on U.S. decision makers to say, look how entangled your economy is with ours. You do not want to challenge us, whether it be Taiwan or anything else, because it will have serious disruption for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're being pretty cautious here, but, I mean, there is a lot of 
I mean, what you're talking about and what I mentioned in the other article, there are a lot of other articles talking about supply chain issues as a result of uh, the lockdown. And it's weird that it's particularly bad in Shanghai. Like the, 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 the measures are particularly extreme in Shanghai, the lockdowns. Um, it, it it does smack of theatre. Like I mean, it really is putting on a what what do they call call those a kabuki? Is it kabuki theatre? Anyway, uh, it's putting on a lot of theatre for a very specific goal, which is primarily to because Shanghai is the world's largest uh, container port. Um, if you just throw up a few of those links I just sent there, Scotty, just there's just a sample of the, of, of a few of the uh, reports on it. There's uh, and these are. Websites dedicated to, you know, shipping and all that kind of stuff. Cargo backlog ripples beyond Shanghai as lockdown stops trucks. Uh, let's go to the next one. Shanghai lockdown to set shipping and supply chain on edge. And the last one was, uh, yeah, lines start to omit calls to Shanghai, the world's largest container port. Um, there's plenty of other articles that, you know, or reports echoing the same thing. Is this going to... Is it, I mean, does it fit with, is this Putin and Xi together, you know, putting a dastardly evil plan in motion? The beginning, obviously, was Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Putin has been, you know, more or less, and the Russian government has been more or less explicit uh, in terms of... Announcing a new financial world order. A new financial world order. very explicit. But also being explicit about, about... what the point of the invasion of Ukraine is in terms of its broader implications, the broader implications are um, that it's to unseat America as a global hegemon uh, and, you know, no more so economically, uh, uh, but militarily as well and in every other way, but first and foremost, let's say economically. So is this China playing its part in that uh, grand scheme of, of these two? I think so. I think that this Forbes guy, he uh, concludes that China is trying to show, or is going to show factually, that it is now the indispensable nation. Mm. You're all very dependent on it. Guess who made a visit to Taiwan last week? That southern gentleman, you Lindsey knew. Graham. Pull up the tweet there. This is tweeted by Lindsey Graham himself. Or well, at least, yes, it is. Honoured to be in Taiwan where freedom reigns. The courageous people of Taiwan are great allies of the United States and a beacon of freedom in a troubled region. That was April 14. Yep. That's just a few days ago. And around the same time, the Chinese had uh, drills, exercises, military exercises in the the strait between uh, China and and Taiwan. Um, Air Force... Uh, naval forces were putting on a show of force there. So, and the thing about it is, is that if if and when China does invade Taiwan or do whatever it's planning to do in Taiwan, uh, there'll be some sign of it, but it's not going to be like uh, the build-up that we saw for Ukraine, for just for for geographic reasons. Um, Taiwan's a small island. Uh, off the coast of of China, you won't need uh, there won't be massing of troops on on the border on the on the on the beach uh, of, of China, giving everybody a heads up. This is going to happen. It, it's something that 
because the proximity of of, of Taiwan it's, and and the, and the movement of normal movement of Chinese uh, troops and obviously our Chinese uh, the Chinese Navy and also the fact that it, like I said it's relatively close which means that um, all the preparations most of the preparations could be done undercover so it would be a one day to the next kind of situation yeah. you know you might you probably get what you'll see in the media probably if it's going to happen which I think it will at some point. Uh, You'll see, you'll definitely see reports based on their picking up of chatter, intel agencies talking about China may be planning to do this, et cetera, et cetera. But you won't get the months-long preparations that we had with uh, with Ukraine. So, um, it'll, relatively, it'll be a one day to the next year, um, and that'll be another food bar. That'll definitely put a kibosh on the. Uh, and uh, I mean, if only in sentiment, but probably in practical terms as well, that'll put, put a serious dent in the whole uh, global economy and, uh, and shipping. You talk about supply chain issues, uh, especially with the way the US will likely respond to it, you know, which is generally to make things worse, as we've seen in Ukraine, the response to any kind of situation like that where. Uh, the pressure, an international coalition of sanctioners. Yeah. Singapore yeah. shuts down to Chinese ships right. or something. All that kind of stuff. Um, of course, at that point, they're faced with a situation of really shooting themselves in the foot, you know what I mean? Because the US economy is definitely serious or seriously reliant on, on China, you know, and they may try to hurt China. But if they try to hurt China from a supply chain point of view, they're definitely hurting themselves far more. So um, I think that's why they're desperate, and that's why Lindsey Graham was there. They're desperate to try and uh, put the, have something in, in place where they could uh, offset that or stop it or prevent it from happening milita- militarily, you know, that they could make it game a situation where China would be forced to back down or, you know, because of a military threat, you know. Um, but I think in the end it'll hap- it would happen anyway. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to get their way and they would just... We're at a point where America clearly just doesn't care about what happens in the world. You know, it sees the... As, as little as they can see in terms of objective reality, they, 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 they still can see that... Um, it's kind of end game for at least some of them can see that it's the end game from for, for U.S. hegemony, and there a lot of their actions in response to the movement to, in that direction towards America being unseated and a new world order emerging. Uh, they're doing the, their plan is not to stop it from happening necessarily, but to put things in place where they can wreck as much of the chessboard uh, as possible for everybody. And I kind of, if we can't have it, no one can, kind of way. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what you can expect. So, uh, yeah, they'll they'll happily, if if pushed, if put in the position, they'll happily just wreck it for themselves. And when I say themselves, America, I mean the people of America, not yeah. the elites. The British too. We saw that <clears throat> British uh, op-ed in the Telegraph a couple of weeks ago, where he was strenuously trying to say, you know. Modernity is ours. We, the British, mm. created modernity. Dot dot dot. Between the lines, he's saying, "No one's going to enjoy modernity if it's not ours." Right, right. You know, <laughs> we're taking everyone down with us. Yep. That kind of attitude is yep. just highly crazy and destructive. Um, yeah. So I suppose that's the most we can say about Shanghai uh, for now. It. I mean, it's it's. Supply chain issues and economic issues and 
gas prices and oil prices and <clears throat> people's standard of living are all on the downward slope and have been before. For now, it's not, you know, Shanghai isn't going to... Shanghai, the situation in Shanghai, if, if what, we're, what we're saying is correct, it'll make things worse. It'll speed the descent over the next few months, uh, especially coming towards the fall and into winter and stuff. It'll, it'll exacerbate the whole situation, but as, as is the situation in Ukraine and the way the West is responding to it. But... Um, yeah, so it's just in that sense, it's a, I don't think it's a, 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 a kind of a, a big move or a, 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 it's, not a, it's not a decisive mm-hmm. um, kind of blow against the US or anything like that. No. It's just, it's just it's setting the situation. explanation. Yeah. But of it's some just, kind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and again, it sounds extreme to me for them to do it, but then the reporting that we're getting on what's going on in Shanghai and China is blown to some extent, I don't know how much, but to some extent it's blown out of proportion and it's per- portrayed in the West as, you know, because where are we getting our information from? We're getting our information from Twitter and Facebook or, and the Western media. And the, for, for like decades, uh, or well, maybe not decades, but for at least a decade, you know, it's um, the, the reporting and the commentary on China from Western powers has all been about, uh, maybe it's not a decade, it, it started with the whole Chai Com thing and it really started with, co- really got, got going with COVID when it was seen as the Wuhan flu in China. This is the, the Chinese uh, attempt to destroy the world economy and destroy America. But, and it was there beforehand with... It came out of nowhere, you know, with uh, the Alex Jones types. I think it began with, with G. Yeah, but it really gathered... But it really gathered on steam. On road. It really gathered steam in the past, you know, amongst the, the, the Twitter Addy uh, and the, the, the true blue American pro-Trumpers, it really... Oh. And him saying China, 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 China. Yeah. It really gathered steam under, under Trump, really, uh, yep. in terms of China's out to get us. Xinjiang, there was a whole CIA right. campaign about TikTok Xinjiang. undermining our democracy, undermining our culture. There's the Chinese Cultural Revolution coming to America. It's already here. Right, wokeism is, is China's wokeism fault. Is China. I mean, yeah. so, um, yeah. It's weird. It's weird, isn't it? It's kind of vague and amorphous, yet it's everywhere in every specific instance. Mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. no one articulates it properly. Mm-hmm. But definitely, uh, under the Trump, Trump, uh, whatever Trump himself had in mind, he had people around him who, were, like Pompeo, was like, you know, if the leash was off, comparing modern China to Nazi Germany, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, then lo, the pandemic happens. Wuhan. Uh, Right. Wuhan flu. China right. did it. You know. Right. And then, yeah, since then it's been just... It, and it's been very successful. It's That's what's cr- crazy about it. Like most Westerners, if they weren't already, now they're like super suspicious of, of China. China. Yeah. 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 And that's been, you know, by design, I suppose, because it's part of the information war. And as we said previously, it's uh, information war is, seems to be at least... More than 50% of where war is at these days, you know what I mean? Um, at least the war waged by the West. The West's um, its major weapon against uh, countries that can actually shoot back is, is information. And they're, they're very good at it. They're very uh, good at it. But the, the, the other, their opponents don't have equivalent means of fighting back on the information level. Right, but they don't... But, but, RT and Sputnik, like... Small. Their opponents don't see. They, they care, but they don't care as much about uh, as the West mm. do about information. They say, "Okay, yeah, you got to fight the information war. You got to push back and stuff." But the bottom line is, we're going ahead and doing what we're going to do anyway. 
it doesn't really matter what they say about us, you know. So yeah, the point is that's I'm, I'm saying that because both China, obviously, and and Russia, as we know, have been demonized over several years, in particular by the West. And so any information we're getting about what's going on in Shanghai, uh, in terms of the lockdown and all that kind of stuff, is yeah. Is, 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 it's coloured at it's least. It's coloured and it's really like the, pumped up in terms of the the, the worst possible yeah. interpretation of it, you know. I mean, again, 25 million people in Shanghai. How many people do you see in those videos that you see, you know what I mean? But people happily extrapolate to 25 million people, you know. Uh, so that was my question was, if China is doing this <clears throat> in a, in a, as, a, as a move to disrupt supply chains and t- to worsen the situation for the West to, to basically wage a, a kind of economic, it's a move on the economic warfare chessboard by China against the, the US uh, and, and the West, in particular, but particularly the US, and coming right on the top, on the heels of the whole Ukraine situation where the West, particularly Europe, seems to be shooting itself in the foot, or rather America seems to be happy to shoot Europe in the foot or to give the gun to European politicians so they can <laughs> shoot the population in the foot and uh-huh. tell them say, take that Putin as you shoot yourself in the foot. Um, you know, so it's already a bad situation. They're making it worse. And is this China just helping along or a strategic move to, you know, in some way that they perceive that, you know, in, in their broader plan? Because there obviously is a broader plan. Like we said, Putin has spoken about it. And it's a grand plan to remake uh, the world order effectively. Not all at once, but, you know, step by step. Is this one more move in that in that? In that plan, maybe. Uh, and again, does it seem extreme to like lockdown uh, in the way they're doing, appear to be doing lockdown in a city of 25 million people and, you know, not let anybody out for any reason whatsoever just so they can screw up uh, the, the shipments, the, the the container shipments out of their port in, in Shanghai? It's the biggest in the world, sure. It goes, a lot of it goes to America. Would they do that? I don't know. Uh <laughs> It's uh, at this point, uh, I wouldn't rule anything out, you know, because mm-hmm. these people are crazy, and I don't mean the Chinese in particular. I mean, people in in Washington are crazy, are clearly crazy, and people in Europe, are, politicians are completely crazy, have lost the plot. Uh, so, yeah, it's not surprising that you might see similarly cr- apparently crazy moves by their competitors. You know what I mean? Because we're yeah. all playing a crazy game here, right? <clears throat> so I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, so there's Shanghai. Is that, is that an answer? I don't know. Maybe that's Close a enough. that's a good answer. Good enough. Something to be something to chew on, um, and and see what happens. Um, so yeah, Russia. What's been going on in Ukraine? What happened Shh. to the Moskva? Moskva was sabotage. By who? By uh, somebody who doesn't like the Ukraine war. Uh, sabotaged by Russians? Mm. Really? Yeah. Huh. Someone I heard is. someone else suggest that as well. It had to be. <clears throat> someone inside, someone on the ship. Who's, yeah, yeah, that's the only thing that makes any, makes any sense. Uh, Ukraine firing, what, Neptune, yeah. anti-ship missiles? No one believes that. Well, yeah, of course, because you shouldn't believe anything Ukraine says as a general rule because they've lied repeatedly. But uh, also, Moscow is the flagship of the Russian Navy, Bris- yeah, bristling, target. bristling with uh, anti, anti-ship, anti, anti-missile defense or missile defense systems, uh, and apparently they didn't work. Somebody fired one Neptune missile, maybe two, so it couldn't define the flagship of the Russian Navy 
on red alert, basically in a war zone off the coast of off the coast of Crimea. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, anti-ship, a dodgy Ukrainian anti-ship missile was fired from a few hundred kilometres away. Oh, didn't see that coming. Oh, it hit our ship. Oh, it sank. Yeah. Doesn't uh, sound plausible to me. No. The other one, fire on board. Well, the Russian one might be closer. They said fire on board, yeah. the set-off ammunition that right. catastrophically yeah. put the ship out of commission. Yeah. Function-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but it's being towed back to port. Next update is half a day later. It sank. Yeah. Well, that, that 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 would make sense to me as well. That it, I can see how it would sink, it would sink as it's being as it's being towed. If if the uh, if the damage to it was in, in rough seas and it's being towed back and the damage is significant enough. Well, someone but, checked out that rough seas thing. And it was bullshit. Yeah, Just the weather was fine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah, um, the guys at but, the Duran suspected was scuppered deliberately. Yeah, it's because it was beyond <coughs> use. <clears throat> they just. Hmm? used half a day, a whole day to take whatever sensitive equipment off they could to, to take all the survivors, assuming any were killed, yeah, off so the ship. Yeah, so after it back. happened, they scuppered it just... They scuppered it so that uh, they were, they're too busy. Other things to do, and it's old anyway, scupper. But symbolically, like, Jesus, apparently the mood in Russia was... People were pissed, especially, you know, people coming at Putin from the right, his mm. nationalists, mm-hmm. and the communists, in fact, the mm-hmm. old communist mm-hmm. party are like... You this shouldn't happen. That's like a flagship. Yeah, well, you can't. I mean, you can, you can have the best military and best military intelligence and all that kind of stuff and best military planning in the world. But if you've got a mole inside, if you've got someone who's a, a saboteur inside your own military, well, they're and they're good. Then you know, and they've got one job to do, which is to uh, put a, an incendiary device in the right place in a ship and. And set it on fire because again, a natural fire. Yeah, the Russians more or less told the truth. A fire started. Who started the fire? They're not saying, uh, but a fire just started. But again, a fire starting like that, just spontaneously through you know, you know, an accident. Mm. Uh, those ships have like fire suppressant systems or whatever, or at the very least, they have people on board who can put fire. Yeah, five hundred people are well drilled. Right. So it, none of it makes any sense. Um, Missile doesn't make any sense, and just a spontaneous fire doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. It, it's more like uh, Notre Dame, you know, <clears throat> or the hunt for Red October. Yeah, it was more like it's more like <coughs> more like what happened <coughs> probably happened in Notre Dame, which is uh, somebody set a fire in a very particular place that ensured that a certain series of events would happen. It would be very difficult to avoid those uh, uh, that series of events happening, i.e., the ship ultimately being seriously damaged and rendered. Either yeah, scupperable or maybe it sank all by itself as well. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that, I think that's what happened. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it, you know. I mean, that's if you've got every country's, you know, susceptible to uh, saboteurs, uh, you know, moles basically, uh, traitors or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they're very hard to. Good ones are very hard to deal with, you know. So. Um, well. What Apart from that, it's just business as usual, it looks like. Wow. No, but that... I mean, for Russia as a whole, their operations in yeah. Ukraine. They they used their S-400 for the first time in combat last week. Mm-hmm. Um, shooting down one of the two Ukrainian choppers that had ventured over and fired at villages. That's been happening like about 10 times now at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, last week we discussed the incident where they fired at a fuel depot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then they, they've been firing at other things. What was interesting about the incident is that they waited until the chop was back over Ukraine mm-hmm. to make a point, you know. Mm-hmm. Just because you're back in Ukraine doesn't mean you're, you're going to be okay, you know. Yeah. Um, well, the big thing happening this week in Ukraine, major, I suppose, a turning point is the, the Azovstal, Mariupol, basically. Mariupol being cleansed of the of the Ukrainian forces uh, completely, the urban area, and just uh, a bunch of them being left in the vast iron and steelworks, the Azovstal iron and steelworks, which are right there on the, you know, on the coast, on the sea edge of, uh, of, of Mariupol. Uh, they're all held up in there. There's a lot of underground uh, tunnels uh, and several floors underground where they could hide out or whatever. But again... Something like maybe two, two, fifteen hundred surrendered because they're basically being starved. They don't have any. There's no supplies getting in, and they're running out of obviously food, and they only have water maybe left or whatever. But um, uh, there's probably still there's probably another. I don't know. There's still a few thousand of them holding out down there, and uh, three thousand according yeah. to the MOD. Apparently, gave them six hours this morning right. to surrender. Right. Um, while we're coming on air, there are videos of heavy bombardment it looks like they're, yeah. they're just dropping bombs from high up yeah. um, so they may not be around much longer 3,000 of them I think they've threatened they've threatened yeah because I mean they can't root them out they're not willing to sacrifice any uh, you know Russian lives to going down into tunnels and stuff you know where they would be easily they would be easily ambushed so uh, I think the idea is either you yeah you surrender and, and come out with your hands up type thing or we're going to collapse the whole thing on top of you. Um, and to do that, they'll obviously have to use some serious ordnance, you know. They're going to have to use like um, um, kind of therm... Well, I don't know if thermobar- Maybe thermobaric, yeah, but basically different types of ordnance, heavy heavy bombs basically to, to dis- that are bunker busters effectively to, uh, to destroy the not just the above-ground structure but to collapse the underground structure and then they can all just end up being buried there. But the sad thing is, and it's probably true, is that uh, a lot of them want to, knowing that, they want to surrender because it's either surrender or die. But there's a lot of commentary that or claims being made that uh, Zelensky or the people in Kiev, i.e. Washington, D.C., are telling them, no, that they have to stay there. Help is on the way. No, there's no help on the way. They've oh. been told that specifically. No, that they're not allowed to surrender. Right. That they have to uh, die. Um, they have to stay and fight to the last man. But in this case, fighting means just sitting there waiting to, for bombs to fall on your head. You know. Um, <clears throat> and of course, that's been the the Ukrainian the Ukrainian government again directed by Washington Washington D.C. and the crazies over there uh, that they don't want any. Uh, or want, want as few captured, um, as few surrenderings as possible, as few captured uh, Ukrainian forces as possible, especially in the case of uh, Mariupol and um, and the Azovstal uh, steelworks, um, where there are probably a lot of, a few hundred uh, foreign forces, foreign European and American um, fighters. And they don't want a lot of them to be captured either. So it's basically the bottom line is that these people, these people are useless to us anyway because uh, if they surrender, they're not going to be put back. They're not going back to fight, right? They're going to be taken away or they're going to be you know, Interrogated. Put, put, put in jail or whatever. And, and they're not going to be playing any further part in this conflict. And this is a final, 
it's a final conflict for for Ukraine for the Ukrainians as they say that's for the Ukrainian government and it's a final conflict for uh, Washington DC as people have been saying that Washington DC is willing to fight uh, Russia to the last Ukrainian and you know they want to throw as many of them as, uh, at the at Russia as possible and for some bizarre reason it's probably because they're a bunch of psychos uh, the people in Kiev are willing to go along with it um, so those people are, are kind of more useful to them, dead. Yeah. That's why they're not allowing them to surrender. Now, of course, they can choose to surrender themselves if they have any sense. But there's also reports that, that the, the more extreme right-wingers in, amongst them, the Azov Battalion and stuff like that, are under orders to shoot anybody who tries to surrender. Yeah. So you have to stay. You have to stay and die, basically, because it's better if you die under Russian bombs in these tunnels than... Uh, surrendering and giving information or giving, you know... Optics. Optics. A few hundred uh, European and American mercenaries, maybe some of them, you know, can and would be tied to, you know, U.S. uh, defense organizations or or the Pentagon or DOD in some way or other. So who knows who's there, you know? There was an American passport found. I think it was Mariupol. Hmm. Um, And somebody... Thinks he may be. Uh, he's joint. I think he's Canadian, U.S. national, dual national, and he was linked to um, some some mercenary group. I'm not sure who. Mm. Uh, drugs may also play a role in this. There's been a lot of reports of Capricorn. that these guys are on Capricorn, and that's why they're kind of crazed. Some of them when they're found, um, that would be part of the course that happened in Syria in a big way. Um, kept them going, kept mm-hmm. them in the fight way beyond you know any kind of yeah, sense yeah. or reason. Yep. Uh, the Russian MOD two days ago put out um, figures for foreign mercenaries. They claimed that um, Kiev has attracted 6,800 foreign mercenaries from 63 countries. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, the largest grouping is from Poland, 1,700. About 1,500 from the US, Canada, and Romania about 300 from the UK and Georgia, and another 200 from Syria. The number of mercenaries killed, they claim, in Ukraine is currently believed to be 4,877. So they killed about 2,000 of them. A specific update last week was that they claimed to have killed 30 Polish mercenaries in an airstrike near Kharkov. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they were careful to say mercenaries that they were acting privately, but again, with these things, like it's all connected back to NATO command structure of some kind, at least training, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you also you mentioned there about the um, there were attacks over the, was it was it during, since the last show? I'm not sure there was there was one more attack on Russian territory. Um, since last week was it, or was that at the, was that before we had the show last week? Anyway, uh, there've been um, there's been a few uh, incurred either as we mentioned we mentioned previously about the the two helicopters flying in and firing missiles, and then there was some. I think uh, more recently there was a there was a rocket attack basically on Russian territory, and. Um, Again, the same area, just over the Ukrainian border and to the north. Um, and in response to that, the the, the Russian 
the government, the defense ministry, said something pretty interesting. They said that, um, well, in response, they delivered a, a, a cruise missile strike on a military target in the Ukrainian capital and said they would opt for more in response to any terrorist attacks and acts of sabotage conducted by the Kiev nationalistic regime on Russian territory. Uh, I find that kind of interesting because it's like, you know, um, they they fire missiles or cruise missiles or whatever kind of missiles at targets in Kiev, legitimate military targets, and they also mentioned that they would, uh, if it continued, they would uh, target decision-making um centers in Kiev. Uh, and anybody who, you know, who has a curious mind would say, well, what, what's the deal with that? I mean, what do you mean? There's a bunch of targets in Kiev that you're not attacking and you'll only do it if they shoot some missiles over the Russian border? Why don't you just attack those? Why don't you just shoot them? What are you? Why don't you just shoot them anyway? What, what, what are you, holding out on some stuff or something? <laughs> you know, what, why don't you? Why don't you? I mean, you've got these legitimate targets and you're yeah. saying, I will attack these important places that will really hurt you badly, you know, if you keep attacking, uh, firing missiles over the border. It's like, everybody would be like... Yeah. Well, it speaks, it speaks to the unspoken fact in the West, anyway, that um, Russia is fighting this war with one hand tied behind its back, so... Um, Why? What do you mean? One hand tied behind its back? Well, that there are quote-unquote, legitimate targets in terms of the rules of war that are not being hit. That they're either on ice uh-huh. to be used in this case as a, as a threat later yeah. at some point, yeah. or, or never, it'll just remain a threat. Mm-hmm. But it probably also speaks to the, the very complex nature of what they're trying to do. Um, I think you explained it to me well during the week. Maybe you should try to recollect how you put it Mm, in terms of levels of escalation here Mm. um, how far Russia can go wants to go like for example it is targeting of those quote unquote 30 Polish mercenaries in Kharkov how do they know there are mercenaries Um, and not in any way kind of officially part of some unit or extracted from some unit that is actually an interoperable, in quotes, NATO battalion of some kind. But they're not there with, surely, U.S. intelligence got them in there. You know, it, they, li- they limited it to just describing it as that. If they go further and say, we know the U.S. commander who sent them there, mm-hmm. he's now a target. He mm-hmm. should watch where he's walking mm-hmm. in Warsaw next week. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going up... Yeah, it's some, yeah, it's it's a term that that's been bandied around, and it, it's only for the the geopolitical nerds, I suppose, or war strategist nerds alone. It's obviously something that is is important to understand if you're if you want to understand really the way these people think about it. They talk about escalation dominance. It's a term that's been around for quite a while, and it's basically um, uh, it's a theory. Military strategy theory, escalation dominance, it's the ability to escalate a conflict in ways that uh, that will be disadvantageous or costly to your adversary, adversary, but not you. That's the whole point, but not you. So, um, you know, obviously in any conflict, you can escalate it. You know, you can start off pushing each other or whatever, and then it's like you're trying to resolve your problem by, by, by just pushing each other. Well, you can start off threatening each other, shouting at each other, calling each other names. Uh, and asking, 
you know, with a significant amount of, uh, you know, vitriol, you hope to resolve the conflict, that you both agree it doesn't go any further. But then you can, if it doesn't, then you, you push each other. But, you know, so you follow those through and you see that there's an escalation. There's step-by-step rungs of escalation as you go up and up and up. Uh, and at some point you start, you have to look at each one and decide, well, does that give me an advantage or does it give me an advantage plus an equal disadvantage? Or is it, is it actually worse where I think, oh, well, I'll escalate it then, but the response I get from that escalation, i.e. they do the same, they respond in kind, is something I don't want. Something that I wouldn't be willing to, I don't want at this point in the conflict, I don't want it ever. So there's all sorts of, uh, it's almost like game theory in a certain sense, mm-hmm. um, but it's, uh, it's, it's the way these people think about it, and that's kind of what, what it relates to here is escalation dominance. Like you don't want to, uh, so far they haven't, they probably would have been able to just drop a bunker buster, uh, a deep penetrator, whatever you want to call it, on uh, Zelensky and his crew. In Kiev, and probably you know where he is. It doesn't matter if he's in the basement; it'll go through to the basement and he'll be dead. But they haven't done that. Why don't you know? So people tend to think about these kind of conflicts and, and war in general in, in in too simplistic terms, where it's you know just just get them, you know, just go all in. But that's not how they're they're waged, obviously. Um, and you have to think about it. it is It is quite a um, you know, it does require quite a lot of critical thinking and, and calm thinking and strategizing. You know, there's, you know, you can't just rush in, uh, all guns blazing and forget about what 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 can happen, you know. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, the idea is you escalate it, for, say you escalate it by start attacking, you know, NATO personnel or, you know, maybe, maybe they've avoided attacking NATO, particular NATO personnel who are already in Ukraine because sure. that would be an escalation that they that they've decided they don't want to go but go to because uh, it would provoke a response from from the West uh, that and maybe they don't know exactly what that response would be but it would be kind of it would be in kind and uh, and they just don't want to have to deal with that right now so you hold back you hold back and you only do uh, what is absolutely necessary for you to do to achieve your objectives and this is what Putin talks about achieving the objectives and that's why it's quote-unquote, going slow or whatever. They're simply going about achieving the specific objectives that they feel is within their right uh, to, to pursue, not only within their right, but that they... Uh, within their of, means in, to... Well, also, in, ter- in terms of uh, ins- ensuring their, their, their uh, national security and the protection of the Russian state, uh, they are entitled to respond to a threat that... You know, against the the, the the national security, real national security, not bullshit national security like America talks about, but real national security. Um, and they'll only go as far as as you know, uh, pursuing those objectives. They won't expand it outward because you expand. You know, if you're fighting one person, you don't want to. Well, you, well, you get a break from fighting one person for for a couple of a couple of seconds. You don't want to like you know kick some other guy who's down standing watching, <laughs> you know, and bring him in as well. Do you know what I mean? It's that's a simplistic uh, analogy, but it's more or less the idea. Um, <clears throat> Putin met uh, Lukashenko, and in his comments to the press after, he said, "Yes, it appears that the U.S. is prepared to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian." Yeah. Um, they followed that up with a, an official warning to the United States government sent through the embassy, I think, in Washington, um, warning the U.S to stop, basically stop sending more weapons to Ukraine. The U.S. Uh, 
dear old Ned Price responded and said, good, that's exactly the kind of response we want because we're going to send a lot more weapons to Ukraine. Um, is there a red line in there somewhere for for Russia? That would be interesting to figure out. Is it quantity? Is it type? Specifically, the White House announced, the Pentagon, White House, whatever, that they will be sending a new type of um, switchblade drone, basically kamikaze drones that can – or intelligent mortars, basically right. – um, to Ukraine, is, will there be new types of weaponry that they don't want? The Russians will say, "Nah, that's, that's too much." Um, do you remember the uh, the old S three hundred that Slovakia sent? I think the Russians specifically made a point of saying it's gone. Mm. Um, it entered Ukraine, sure, and uh, we took it out. Mm. Um, they don't generally follow up because there have been other claims of all kinds of shipments of tanks and stuff from Czech Republic, Slovakia, mm-hmm. Poland. Um, it would be hard. It would be even if the Russians did make claims to having targeted these specific things one by one, mm-hmm. they're not going to have footage of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I don't know exactly what what the red line is in terms of the supply of. Uh, but I mean, there's been lots of videos of, especially in Poland, uh, but also Romania, of uh, military equipment, large amounts of military equipment, including tanks and APCs and stuff like that, um, on the backs of trains heading in the direction of Ukraine. Now, the question is, is that they're just to reinforce Poland's or Romania's uh, eastern borders, or are they actually going into Ukraine? Um, yeah. I mean, if if they get to the point, which they could well they could well do, or if, if the West gets to the point where they say, okay, listen, we're just going to, like, more or less try and replace... Uh, the Ukrainian losses, you know, or re- replace a large amount of Ukrainian losses in terms of their actual uh, of artillery and tanks, for example, was well, kind of setting the clock back on 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 the on Russia's plan, if you know what I mean, on Russia's time frame for this. You know what I mean? If if you get, you know, they've lost, and what the figures were, more than a thousand tanks, basically, and they only had maybe eighty. Seventeen or eighteen hundred tanks in the first place, uh, so they've lost you know more than fifty percent of of their tanks. The Ukrainian military has. So if if the U.S. turns around and replaces a significant percentage of those, well, it's just like I said, it's resetting the clock a little bit. On on and if they do that indefinitely, they I mean they would love to just tie them down indefinitely. That's obviously the Western uh, Washington's plan is to tie try and tie Russia down indefinitely in in a conflict in in Ukraine. Um, um, is there a limit to this, though? What, did you see the Washington Post article about yeah. the Ukraine giving a, a third of its anti-tank munitions stockpile? Not the Ukraine, the US. Mm. Um, I have the Washington Post link. I'm not sure it'll open, though. Um, well, I have an archived version of it, too. Let's have a look at this. I mean, it reminds me of that story from a month ago where Canada's like, um, we're all out. We gave Ukraine everything. People are like, what do you mean you're, you're all out? Germany has since said something as well. Mm-hmm. We have no more to give. Sorry, we gave yeah. everything. And now this one about the, a third of Pentagon stockpile of anything is gone. Yeah. Um, of anti-tank munitions, yeah. Of their anti-tank uh, weapons, which isn't surprising because they've put in like thou- tens of thousands of them, you know, between... There. 
Yeah. Washington Post headline, Ukraine war is depleting America's, oh God, arsenal of democracy. <laughs> <laughs> we're, all, we're all out of democracy. Uh, democracy uh, bombs. <laughs> <clears throat> the strategy, reminiscent of US support for Britain in 1940-41, has worked wonders, says the Post. <clears throat> And yet, as the war approaches a critical stage, the arsenal of democracy is being depleted. I don't know. Is this just kind of weapons sales talk to ginny up a production in the United States? Um, or is it seriously facing a shortage? Because it has dumped so many bombs into Ukraine. What are they giving any stats or what are they actually saying? <clears throat> Let's go down. Um, General Mark Milley, of White Rage fame, told Congress that the West has delivered 60,000 anti-tank weapons and 25,000 anti-aircraft weapons to Kiev. Um, <clears throat> I don't see anything about how that's approaching a third. Can you scroll down a bit more? Pentagon officials say that Kiev is blowing through a week's worth of deliveries of anti-tank munitions every day. Mm. I don't know how they quantify it, what should what should be spent in a week, but well, that's laid out, yeah. When they're giving them to them, you know. <laughs> this is presenting Western countries with a stark choice between pouring more supplies into Ukraine or husbanding finite capabilities they may need for their own defence. Yep. Germany has declined to transfer tanks to Ukraine on grounds that it simply cannot spare them. Canada quickly ran short on rocket launchers and other equipment that the Ukrainians desperately need. And the U.S. has provided one-third of its overall stockpile of Javelin anti-tank missiles. It cannot easily deliver more without leaving its own armories badly depleted, and it may take months or years to significantly ramp up production. Crazy. You know, also this week, they formally, in Congress, um, passed an act called something like the Ukraine Lend-Lease Act. Obviously, that invokes FDR, World War II. And as someone pointed out, I think it was Michael Tracy, Lend-Lease at the time was a kind of soft sell of the war because Americans left and right did not want to go into another war. Mm -hmm. And FDR was selling it gently by saying, we're only going to give Britain all the weapons it needs to fight to the last Britain. And you know, within 12 months, they were in the war themselves. Yeah, and then and then saddle them with reparation with uh, repayments for for the rest of their natural lives, uh, which is what happened in Europe uh, after the Second World War, and um, I think Germany only uh, paid off uh, the last Second World War debt to America in um, 2011 or something like that. They made the last payment, so it was you know sixty years later they were still paying. Um so yeah, Ukraine will be like we mentioned in previous shows, Ukraine's gonna be taking the cleaners as a result of this war. But of course the people in control in Ukraine don't give a damn about that, you know. Uh they're being taken to the cleaners uh in terms of um yeah, they're in serious debt. They're they were already massively beholden or controlled by uh the US and now they're gonna be they're gonna have them by the economic balls completely as well. Uh, again Assuming there's anything left of Ukraine to to worth bothering with after Russia has achieved its its supposed objectives, you know, um, 
So, yeah. Um, there's a guy called George Beebe, B-E-E-B-E, former advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney. He was commenting on this formal Russian request to the U.S. government to stop sending weapons to Ukraine. Um, he comments, they have, the Russians have targeted supply depots in Ukraine itself. The real question is, do they go beyond attempting to target weapons on Ukrainian territory? and try to hit supply convoys and perhaps NATO countries on the Ukrainian periphery. He doesn't discount that. He's you know, asking himself rhetorically, but um, he actually said, I, <clears throat> another quote, I think the Russians want to send a message here that they could do that. That they could target. That they are not, that uh, they're red lines to, to, to back up with teeth. Their warning to stop sending weapons could be to start hitting... Yeah, places in Romania, Slovakia, Poland. Yeah, staging areas. Yeah, whether whether it be in a mast, yeah, because yeah, the, I don't know. There may be there's there's probably a warning within that because you you would think that they could just as easily wait until they actually enter the Ukrainian uh, territory and then attack them. But if they're entering, if they're being staged in one particular area, in one main area, let's say in Romania or in Poland, and where they're all concentrated, and then from there they're being fanned out across uh, Western Ukraine along different railway lines, uh, then it becomes well it becomes more of a headache to try and keep track of them all. So, it, yeah, it makes more sense just to, if you see, you know, 200 tanks all sitting uh, in a parking lot, basically, just over the border in Poland, you might want to just take care of them there, you know. Yeah. Uh, and if it happens, it'll, it'll be the West's fault, you know what I mean? Of course, they'll scream bloody murder and say that NATO's been attacked and we're invoking uh, NATO's collective defense and we're all going to go to war against Russia now and we're all going to have nuclear war and stuff like that. But uh, I think the fact that this possibility is openly being discussed in the Washington Post last week means they know and they don't care. In fact, bring it on. Because it's only like... They'll try to spin it as, this is, you see... We're yeah. attacked. Yeah. NATO unity. We've well, been waiting NATO for that. Unity, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's Putin's intentions all along has been to attack Europe, right? To 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 take. To they want us. They want to say, see, see. After seventy-five years, finally, see, the Russians are invading Europe. Yeah. Finland declared it could join NATO by this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, that may be like whoop de do to most people, but I think they should realize that Finland like has a half-century-long policy of neutrality, a bit like Austria does with Russia, that it's committed to not joining NATO. It's kind of similar. This is kind of a similar issue for Russia as Ukraine is. Mm -hmm. Um, We all know Finland as a very much non-Russian, separate, independent country. Russia is not going to dispute that per se, but they're not probably going to allow a NATO member so close to St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. That's essentially, simplistically, why Finland has not, to, so far, been a part of NATO. Um, now, Scott Ritter, is he being a bit hyperbolic here when he says that uh, quite quite fervently this week in an interview I saw, he said, if Finland joins NATO, Russia will intervene militarily in Finland mm. to, to stop that from happening. Maybe, maybe. Don't know. I don't think that... 
I don't really think that. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I think Russia's goal, and they haven't diverged from this goal, and they haven't even uh, verbally they haven't diverged from it. That their goal is is Ukraine. You know what I mean? That the, the problem is primarily the problem is Ukraine. That they'll be happy enough. NATO can or Finland can join NATO, and you know. Uh, I think I spoke over this before where I said that the problem in Ukraine and the reason Ukraine is a problem is because of the mentality of the people in control in Ukraine, which is basically Washington, D.C. There is still some some amount of independence among uh, European countries, EU member states, Finland included, um, where there's a certain level of independence from the U.S. Uh, and there's a certain... Uh, sense or still a certain ability for a certain level of uh, a certain sense of self-preservation amongst uh, countries that are bordering uh, or close to bordering um, Russia and they've known about that for a long time and they've known that uh, Russian nuclear weapons are pointed at them and that's why those certain countries haven't joined NATO and even if they joined NATO it wouldn't make any difference because it would just be a name only. They wouldn't take any action that would be a threat to Russia. So I don't think, uh, because they know they would be obliterated and they have some say over their own uh, self-determination still. The problem with Ukraine is Ukraine has no say over, has had no say over its own self-determination. Um, you know, different from, from Washington's intentions. It's been turned into a country, at least since 2014, it was turned into a country that had one sole purpose, which was to attack Russia attack Russian interests. That's not the case with Finland or Poland or uh, the Baltic states or whatever. Um, so I don't think that would happen. Uh, even if they joined NATO, it wouldn't, Russia wouldn't have that kind of response. It knows it's already got something in place uh, for a long time that prevents th- that from those countries from being the kind of threat that Ukraine is. Ukraine, those countries cannot be the kind of threat that Ukraine is to uh, Russia. Okay. Yeah. At least now they're they're not. Unless you whip up some kind of a radical right wing neo Nazi type uh, element within the armed forces and allow them to take over the armed forces and put in some kind right. of douchebag puppet government that is completely out of sync with the rest of the European Union and isn't listening to them any, anymore and is only listening to the State Department and it, and will allow their country to be used to antagonize and threaten Russia, then yes. Russia would do something, but not simply because they're joining NATO. Right. Because joining NATO would just be like a FU to, an attempted FU to Putin. That's it. That's all it is. It's like turning off your shower after five minutes and saying, take that, Putin. Uh, <laughs> the Finns joining NATO will be, yeah, we'll join NATO in name only and say, take that, Putin. And Putin will go, whatever, dude. See you later. Okay. Um, speaking of take that, Putin. <laughs> this is from banned media. I hope we don't get banned for sharing banned media, but uh, I think you're still you're still allowed to see this in most places in the world, right? RT.com. Cycle to annoy Putin, Germans told. Germans should start working from home, huh? Heard that before. And avoid using cars, heard that before, to reduce energy consumption. What's that got to do with Putin, right? Mm. What? Reduce energy consumption? That's how you hit Putin where it hurts. Oh, I thought it was to save the planet. 
Well, that's interesting. Or to not get the COVID. Well, have an interest. Don't you think it's interesting how the two have kind of diverged? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Before it was Germans should start working from home because COVID. And now it's Germans should start working from home because Putin. Um, Yeah. So, and obviously that extends out to the whole. um, the whole Great Reset, the whole uh, just do away with fossil fuels, the global warming, save the planet. Um, that's been their plan, as people have been, you know, as most people know, that's been the plan. There's been lots of talk over the past few years about the, the, the climate summits and all that kind of stuff, and where everybody has to buy electric, do away with diesel, petrol cars, uh, do away with uh, your boiler, your gas uh, uh, boiler or your fuel boiler at home and uh, get heat pumps, rely on the electricity grid, which relies on uh, wind turbines uh, and solar panels as long as the wind blows and the sun shines enough, otherwise you're screwed. So that's been the plan all along to retool the Western, at least, uh, ideally the global economy along green lines and... uh, they, they've been pushing that, but it's been a crazy idea, as we've mentioned many times in the show. Uh, it, it's just not workable. You're going to cause massive destruction and death and starvation and, uh, and freezing if, if you try to do that. But apparently they wanted to do it anyway. They wanted to push ahead and they were making lots and have been you know, making all sorts of noises and, and using all sorts of manipulations to get the population to get on board with that idea. Uh, but now, but they haven't really made much progress in that respect because... They themselves, at least, saying our heads prevailed, and they realised, look, this is a fucking madcap scheme. There's no way you're going to turn, you're going to change us over from oil and gas and coal to wind turbines and solar panels within a couple of years, or even even within twenty or thirty years. It's it's just not possible. You know what I mean? If you just do the sums, and people, many people have been saying that. Of course, they're not listened to, but very much they're not given much airtime. But it's it's a crazy idea. But now they're apparently able to achieve that, at least with the big one of doing away with fossil fuels, at least they're making progress under a different uh, aegis or under a different explanation, which is not only that, it's not no longer that we're going to do it, it's no longer that the West is going to impose this on people, destru- the, destruction, the removal of fossil fuels and the, the turn to renewable energy. It's that Putin is going to do it to you. They're slowly getting to the point where they can create the conditions where they can say that Putin stopped supplying us with gas and oil and Putin collapsed the global oil and gas market or made it, uh, you know, made it impossible for that to to function uh, as it has been, i.e. the supply of it uh, and and the fact that most of the global industry is based on it, it is run on oil and gas. And that's all coming to an end now because Putin. Yeah. Ignore the fact that for the past 20 years, we've been saying that we were going to do that. And right. just remember now that Putin did it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. It's, it's, I have another one here, also RT, two days ago. The headline is EU readying Russian oil embargo. So that's not Putin readying to cut off oil to Europe. It's the EU who's doing it itself. And that's probably a far more 
that's that's exactly what's going to happen if their madcap scheme is followed through. Mm-hmm. But with the rhetorical flavour that when it happens, it will be Putin's fault. Putin did it. Um, what's interesting about this article? Putin is made that us do it. This is RT article, yes, but it's citing the New York Times, citing anonymous European Union officials. Say, this was mad. But when I showed you that tweet from Giver Hofstadt when he a couple of weeks ago, where he had this great idea, let's cut off Russian oil completely. We both scoffed at it. You're like, there's no way they're going. They can talk a good game, but they're not actually going to do that. Well, the talk is getting more serious here. Um, Not only does it say, this article, that the European Union is readying a total embargo on Russian oil imports. Um, That the second paragraph, EU officials, it claims, are waiting until after the French election to announce the decision. Yep. Amazing how they can just, like, Say that. Say that just so, like, and, and yeah, think that totally it doesn't abuse. come across as, as manipulative and. Oh, yeah. Western democracy, baby. Um, the proposed embargo will be put up for negotiation after next week. Um, Acknowledging that the resulting <sighs> surge in fuel prices would likely harm incumbent French President Macron and boost his right wing challenger, Marine Le Pen. Uh, Forty percent. Germany, Germany, uh, Germany imports or relies on Russia for forty percent of its natural gas. Um, Arnold, sorry, that's the uh, European Union in general. But I think uh, just down a little bit. Yeah, Russian oil is accounts for a quarter of the European Union supply, and Germany uh, is a third in terms of oil. But Germany, and even more than that, it's more than 50, like fifty percent for for gas. So yeah. I mean, these people have a plan, obviously. They're, you know, when they talk about cutting off oil, again, it's, um, I mean, there was a story we, we, we saw there last week that um, uh, <laughs> the US was selling Russian gas, Russian oil, to uh, Europe. Right. So Repackaging it, re- yeah, relabeling it. Re-band, rebranding it and, uh, and, and selling it back to them at a higher price, obviously. So like, think about that. Think about the level of cynicism and bullshit yeah. behind these sanctions, sanctions where Europe is, is whipping up its population to, be, to, to really, you know, to, to get really deep into their fields about Ukraine and how evil Putin is and what he's doing and that uh, we need to stop this guy and the only way we can stop it, how you, uh, the average EU citizen, can stop, help to stop this guy is by reducing your consumption of oil and gas. And, in fact, we're going to do our part as politicians. We're going to support you in that, but we're going to cut off uh, Russian oil, uh, at least only Russian oil for now. We'll see about gas later, but for now, Russian oil, we're going to cut it off and we're not going to buy any more Russian Russian oil, and that'll help the poor Ukrainians. And in the same breath, they're turning around and saying, to "America, America, would you buy some Russian gas for us, or some Russian oil for us, and sell it back to us at a higher price, and we'll just pass that extra cost on to?" Yeah. Well, I don't so know. So you are I, actually buying Russian oil I don't know who, from America. I don't know who did that. Was the Europeans or the Americans? What happened was Washington announced the sanctions. Yeah, the EU, you know, well, in cohesion at the same time. Washington immediately increased by officially 43% its purchases of Russian oil, Mm -hmm. just the crude oil. Yep. And then sold it back as American oil to Europe. Yep. So it's like, Europe, don't buy Russian oil, buy Russian oil from us. 
Don't buy Russian oil from Russia. Buy Russian oil from America. That's at a, gangs, at a premium. gangsterism of like. Yeah. And they get away with it. They get away with it because it's too crazy to contemplate. Mm-hmm. If you want to like but, believe in your authorities. But on the upside, that plan suggests that there won't be, at least in the short term, any actual shortfall in, in oil or gas. Right. Because you're always, you just officially, on paper, won't be buying it from Russia and thereby you know, sticking it to Putin. But there won't be any shortfall in supply because we'll just get it from somewhere else. Or there's this whole thing that people are probably aware of is that a, a lot of gas and oil is just sold by, con- by producing countries onto the quote-unquote open market, which is by kind of sold to intermediaries or you know, uh, brokers, basically, who then can sell it to whoever they want. And like, again, they can say it's like, as long as you're not officially buying Russian oil and gas from Russia, then you can buy Russian oil and gas, as long as you don't buy it directly from them. Buy it from someone else, just buy it, don't buy it from them. And that's, you know, in their mind, that's, that's good because it it in some way stops direct revenue going to Russia for it, uh, and in some way that's good. But obviously, ultimately, Russia is still getting the benefit from it, maybe at a slightly reduced uh, the, the reduced profit. But they're still selling it's, their gas and oil to Europe indirectly. But it, it's not working. Russia's no, trade balance, not, but that's an example of why it's not. This year. It's like their their the revenues from going. Yeah, gas that's an example of. of 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 why it's uh, it's not working, you know what I mean? Uh, of, or it's obvious that that won't work. Like if I if I don't buy something from you, if I want to cut you off because you sell something, and I won't buy it from you directly because I, I say that you're an evil person, I just go to Scotty and say, buy that from Neil, will you? And then sell it to me. Well, you're still selling it, so it's not going to affect your economy really to any significant degree at all. But you can talk up sanctions all you want and say, look what we're doing. But then you look at the the actual effects, and like you just said, the Russian economy has kind of rebounded. You know, the Russian currency has rebounded. So it's not about what they say it's about. Is the bottom line? They're not doing what they say what they say they're doing. Yeah. And ultimately, what's going to happen? What is you know the most likely thing that's going to happen is that there's going to be some kind of a a, a collapse or a crash or a breakdown in this in the, in the way that they're tr- manipulating the whole system. Uh, for for crazy, you know, for ridiculous reasons, uh, it's going to ultimately the the guy that's left holding the holding the baby is the is the average member of the population. Yeah, that's where that's where it always ends up. Like bottom line, that's where it ends up. Well, speaking of Macron and European energy needs, um, we saw his we saw a brochure of his manifesto mm. sent to every household in the country, and the first item. I'm not joking, people. The first item on the list was Macron is going to ensure that there's an EU-wide carbon tax. Vote for me. Anyone remember what kicked off the Yellow Vest rebellion? Mm-hmm. A freaking green tax on the increasing fuel prices. Okay, so today he's, he's gone above and beyond even that. This is a quote today, I think given at uh, a stump rally, who's obviously campaigning because... They're having the second round of voting in France next week. Quote, Europe must be ready to accept up to 60 million refugees over the next 20 years from Africa and the Middle East, as sanctions against Russia will lead to an economic collapse in Africa, which in turn imports a huge amount of Russian wheat. Mm -hmm. So... 
it's it's a head it's a head twister because on the one hand he's describing objective reality on the other hand he's describing an agenda mm. which is which which is feeding into which this reminds me of the overall topic of climate climate induced mass migration which we've looked at last fall especially because a lot of noise was being made about it in the press at the time now most people who are skeptical of government these days just dismiss because they tend to throw out anthropogenic global warming period it's just a, a hysteria it's a non-starter there's nothing really there to look at nothing objectively is going on on that front we took a different tack and we're thinking that actually these guys have some kind of a crystal ball insight into serious dislocations of populations in the coming years or decades what time frame Macron said over the next 20 years from Africa and the Middle East. Although he's attributing not natural causes, he's attributing it to Putin did it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> God, it's just infuriating how they shift and move around the, their narrative elements. You know, They're well, trying, obviously, to keep it a coherent whole. Somebody's been crystal balling or for a very long time with this. If you just throw up that article, Scotty... Uh, you know, this is from this is from. You probably know we've used it now and again. This is uh, two thousand four. Now the Pentagon tells Bush climate change will destroy us. A secret report suppressed by U.S. defense chiefs and obtained scroll, scroll down obtained by the Observer warned that major European cities would be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by twenty twenty. Oops, didn't happen. Nuclear conflict, mega droughts, famine, and widespread rioting will erupt across the world. Abrupt climate change could bring the planet to the edge of anarchy as countries develop a nuclear threat to defend and secure dwindling food, water, and energy supplies. They got specific elements correct. Somebody was scrying or but, something. But Someone was like... It's know. not so much the specific elements that they got correct. It's their certainty 20 years ago that there would be major dislocation. Right. At the time it was written, you'd be like, what, riots across yeah. the world? Jeez. And of course... You've been reading too many science The climate now. hasn't caused... Well, the climate has caused problems with crops and crop growing and crop yields over the past couple of years because, you know, there's been crazy uh, weather patterns in terms of massive downpours on very dry land or droughts um, and uh, or, or yeah, extremely wet seasons yeah. and stuff and extremely wet growing seasons. The volatility so of yeah, crop it ha- growing It has had season. that effect, but not... But the thing that's going to really cause... Uh, problems, it seems, is the machinations of these nutbag elites in Western countries. Yeah. They're Fertilizers. The ones are, they're the ones who are going... Yeah, I mean, fertilizer... I mean, it's one thing for, for the weather to, to reduce your crop yields or whatever, but that's not happening on a massive scale, right? It's not happening on no. a serious, serious scale. There's some issues, not right? Yet. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened, you know? Uh, but uh, if... Russia decides as a result of these sanctions, decides to stop, stop supplying fertilizer to farmers, well then you, it doesn't matter what the weather does. If you don't have fertilizer to grow your crops, you're not getting any crops. So, Well, it, it compounds because many fertilizers, their usefulness is in providing hardiness to crops to be able to withstand more extreme expressions, whether it's frost mm, or mm, drought mm. or... Uh, inundations, too much rain, too much precipitation. That's that's a crazy thing about it. The, the one thing that's needed, if there is an edge to the climate that wasn't there before, mm. is the one thing that's been taken out of the equation. The prices of these things are going through the roof. Mm-hmm. W- which came first? Was it 
the lockdowns, the disruption to supply chains, was it an intended outcome? Was did someone try to seed? Did someone throw a spanner in the works of this complex system to begin yeah. with? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, they all compound each. All these factors compound each other. But it means that idiots like idiots like this, they're cunning. They're cunning. Politicians get to say things like this that ble- they just reblend the narrative as the circumstances evolve. Right now, it's Putin did it, you know. Right, and maybe who knows? Maybe that's more palatable to people. Like you said, they'll take a hit. They'll take ten percent less in energy. They'll take uh, if it's for a good cause. Yeah, they're being given a good cause. You might save some more Ukrainian babies if you do yeah. this. They're being they're being manipulated and lied to with you know, and forced to swallow or accept good causes uh, that in theory, I suppose from the people giving them those uh, those rationales will allow that will, will force the population, will encourage the population to to accept impoverishment, accept, you know, uh, food supply problems like as in no food in the supermarkets or no gas or no oil or you know so you can't you can't drive your car or you can't uh, can't heat your home in wintertime for a good cause. While if you look at what's actually causing that, it's it's these it's their their government the ones that are giving them the bullshit narrative to explain it. It's they're the ones who are through their actions, their their self serving actions are causing those situations. So I mean. It's really crass manipulation, and it's a bit embarrassing. Uh, I'm embarrassed on, on on behalf of all the people who believe that bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. That 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 they're being led down a garden path with a with a really transparently false narrative uh, to accept suffering that nobody nobody wants to nobody would would accept uh, or wants to have to accept. Um, it's yeah. It's well, good. the. Uh, Badgering them for two decades to quote live sustainably, yeah, to lower your carbon footprint mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wasn't working. Save the planet. So at least that did not work. Right. Just a positive call to become a hippie, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they wheeled like Greta Thunberg, and that wasn't that backfired. Like yeah. that just not was selling. But at least I suppose if they're going to be led, it's by a narrative that is more reality based. There's a war on. Right. Um, right. People are dying. Can get behind Actually, that. people are dying for real, horribly, and it's his fault. Mm-hmm. War measures, war effort. Come on, everyone, do your part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like a slow train wreck, you know. It's hard to watch it happening. Um, but it's also fascinating in a way. Um, so, anything else? What do you think of Elon Musk trying to buy out Twitter? Do you have an opinion? Should I have an opinion? Of um, course, everyone else on Twitter does. Well, he offered. He made, Scotty, do you have an opinion? <laughs> he, he made them a good, he made them a good offer, like and uh, that they couldn't refuse, but they did. Well, if they refuse it, then that shows that the people on the board of Twitter are ideologically driven and not driven as they should be by um, by uh, loyalty or to the sh- to the shareholders. Uh, they don't care about the shareholders, basically, um, which would, you know, so that if they don't accept it, whatever rationale, whatever reason they give, if they don't accept it, it proves what people have been saying about Twitter all along is that it's, uh, is that it's, uh, it's, it's driven by uh, a certain, ideology. a certain ideology, a certain perspective, and it's meant, it's there as a, a platform to 
push a political and cultural and social ideology rather than just a, a company to make money, a private company to make money, which it kind of should be. Yeah. I thought it's uh, pretty telling. In, in times past, this would have happened a bit more subtly, but not anymore. The White House explicitly this week threatened to sick the Department of Justice and the Securities SEC investigates financial crimes onto Tesla. Mm. You know? Wow. Coincidental. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pushback. Well, that, that says it all there as well. It says that Twitter is an arm of the government or seen as an arm of the government. Um, Guess who is on the board of Twitter? There's a few interesting characters, but this is the most interesting, I think. Remember him? Zolik, oh yeah. He's a signatory to the PNAC document of 1998. He's a new con dude. Yep. He's a, a member of the board, career, yeah? Career, yep. Career-long pencil pusher, um, U.S. State Department. He's on many boards now, I suppose. You could say, wow, whatever. But he's not just any pencil pusher. Like, head of the World Bank uh, in his post-neocon, post-Bush retirement years, in quotes. Um, MD at Goldman Sachs. Good friend of Paul Wolfowitz basically helped write a lot of those documents in the nineties, um, right? About uh, U.S. forward operating bases and total full spectrum dominance and all that whatnot. And Twitter is a key instrument in full spectrum dominance. So that, that's a classic. Like, I love the way that he is now on the board of that company because yeah, it's 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 where deep state meets permanent government, whatever you want to call it, meets um, cultural, in, quote unquote, private. Entity, you know, um, where the rubber hits the road in the United States. It reminds me of that quote. I think it's from some movie, like the CIA guys telling some gangster who's complaining about all the shit the CIA gets up to. And you guys never face repercussions. I think it was actually the one with um, Matt Damon playing uh, James Jesus Angleton, and Matt Damon <clears throat> playing Angleton says back to him. No, you don't understand. You all get to enjoy this country. We own it. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, you're visitors. The Irish come, the Polish come, whatever. This is our country. You know? yeah. And that, like, that's coming to the fore here. Like, yeah. And Musk, I don't know how far he's going to take that, but he's smart because he bid at $54 per share, right? Something like that. Um, the response, one of the responses from the official Twitter account of the Saudi Kingdom Investment Fund, right. <laughs> which was, you know, we looked at it and uh, you're undervaluing the company. Yeah. So he responded. Well, he responded in a couple of cute ways. One about questioning, you know, what, what's Saudi Arabia's stand on, you know, journalistic integrity, yeah. obviously referencing the, the state assassination of Khashoggi, right. the journalist. But the other response was to pull up Goldman Sachs' valuation of Twitter mm-hmm. at thirty dollars, thirty, 30. billion dollars, not fifty-four. Mm. He was pointing out, "I'm going to offer you twice as much." Mm. But then they're like, "That doesn't. It's not that about, doesn't it's attract not, us. It's not about money. You, you think you can buy the company and then you'll own it? Yeah. No, no. The ideology speaking back to him is, <laughs> we own this country. Mm-hmm. We decide who gets what, where, and who gets to say what, and who gets to yeah. think what." Yep. 
Yeah, we formed the narrative, and Twitter's a big part of forming the narrative, so uh, we're not going to give that up. It's not about cash, it's not about money, uh, it's not about profit, it's about control and people's minds. Yes. Yes. Control the people's minds. One ring to rule them all. Yeah. Well, um, I want to say a final thing about Russia and its stated objectives in Ukraine and maybe perhaps its grander ideas explicitly stated recently by Putin about a new uh, financial world order. Um, I think both his ardent haters and people who support him should all keep stock of the fact that Russia's military budget is smaller than France's. Mm -hmm. It's smaller than Saudi Arabia's, something like 50 billion euros a year. It's doing what it's doing. It's attempting to do something, sure, but between the people who've overinflated Putin Mm -hmm. and his Mm -hmm. army into like, it controls everything Mm -hmm. on the one side, and then the others who were like, please come and save the whole world. Like, it's a big deal, but the world's bigger and there's bigger forces too. China could yet play that role for positive or good mm-hmm. or for evil. We don't exactly know for sure yet. But um, yeah, it just, it just hit me last week. I was like, you know, there's a limit to what Russia can do. Yeah, um, yeah. But it has to do it in, co- in, in concert with uh, other countries, uh, obviously Eastern countries, you know. The <clears throat> it can set an example and hopefully draw allies and draw, yeah. draw resources, draw yeah, yeah. people. Draw well, apparently they have a plan, and it's, you know they've thought about it, and they've, at least they say they've thought about it, and uh, they're putting in the into motion. Obviously, there'll be there is pushback and going to be pushback, and many a uh, a slip between cup and lip, as they say. But um, it's not just a. They're not, it's not. It's not. It doesn't seem to me that it's a, it's on a wing and a prayer type thing. We're just having to go here and we'll we'll accept whatever we can get out of it. They do have a plan, uh, but again, they they can't be sure of the plan themselves. It's a plan in, in in in. It's a it's a general idea. They can't be sure that it's going to go as they predicted. It's going it's going to go. You know what I mean? Uh, every step of the way, because there is that wild card of of the U.S. and like we mentioned before, their attitude of if we can't have it, no one can. Uh, if if you know if we're not going to win, then everybody loses. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.